Welcome, everybody. Um, hello to the second episode in my podcast um, with the title Demystifying Genetics. Uh, this is the first podcast where I'm actually interviewing somebody and I have on the line a genetic counsellor from Sydney and a good friend called Ronald Fleischer. So welcome, Ron. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I understand that you are on holidays up in Queensland at the moment. Um, how <laughs> is the weather? Oh, it's very lovely. I, I dragged myself out of the pool to um, give you a bit of time uh, now because, uh, as we were saying off air, there's, there's nothing that people in our profession love doing more than sitting around talking about genetics. Um, so I was very happy to come in and be a guest on your podcast. Excellent. Well, I'm very grateful and I'm also quite envious because um, I did get wet this morning. Um, it is a cloudy day in Melbourne and it's raining and, yeah, probably not well, as you, nice. Oh, well, you know, Melbourne, by the time the podcast is finished, it might be 30 degrees and sunny. Who knows? <laughs> Excellent. So, you're a genetic counsellor. Um, your background is you studied a science degree at the University of New South Wales and then went on to do genetic counselling at uni in the year 2000. Um, yep. While you were working, you became certified in 2010 and you're currently working in Sydney. Yep, that, that's pretty much the story. I think like a lot of people who got into genetic counselling, you know, I've got a real passion uh, about genetics, uh, but more so that the science and the communication side of things uh, whenever I was doing sort of wet work in the, in, in the lab, uh, that was never my favourite thing and I always relied on having a good lab partner to uh, get, me through, <laughs> uh, get me through undergrad uni. Uh, but in terms of actually the, uh, the, the genetics and the, and, and the knowledge, like I, I just soaked all that stuff up. I loved it um, and I was really looking for a, a career where I could uh, help people um, and so I feel that gene counselling brings those two things together, the, uh, the, the love for science and, and genetics but also being really um, a, a, a good help to, pe to people and, and being a good resource for people. Excellent. Yeah, I think us genetic counsellors, we, we do have a passion for people and the science, but also that sort of communication. And um, I find that this is a great job. Like, I was like you, I, I really like science. And I remember being in the lab, it, it was kind of, you know, it was interesting. But I thought, I really need a sciencey job where I get to talk to people. And I think that this is a, a great profession to sort of bring that together. Uh, look, I mean, it's just so sort of satisfying to be in a consult where people come in and uh, they don't understand, you know, so many elements of something that's so personal to them and then you spend a bit of time with them and you work through it with them and you, you almost see the light bulbs go on and, and it all sort of starts to make sense about why, you know, they've got this personal history of a genetic disorder or a family history and you just walk through it with people and it all suddenly makes sense to them. Um, so it's, it's very rewarding. Yeah. So when you and your wife are out and about and you're at a dinner party or you're at a, a barbecue and someone says, oh, Ron, wh what do you do? How do you sort of explain what genetic counselling is in that kind of 30 seconds that you've got? I, I know you know the question's going to come when you meet someone new and you're like, oh, okay, how long, how long am I going to invest in this conversation? Um, because, every, you know, you tell people, you say, oh, I'm a genetic counsellor, and they say, oh, genetic counsellor, oh, what, what's that? Uh, and then off you go. And, and so, yeah, it is good to have a, a, a good little sort of 30-second soundbite. Um, but, I, look, I, I do uh, tell people that we, pe we speak to people with a personal or family history of a genetic disease and uh, try and 
help them make decisions about their, their healthcare based on that. Excellent. That sounds like a really good summary. Yes. Um, so what are you um, working on at the moment? So I'm in a, in a, in a major public hospital in uh, inner city, uh, Sydney. Um, so I guess on a day-to-day basis, we have a lot of uh, prenatal, paediatric and adult patients moving through. On the prenatal, a lot of the uh, focus is on Down syndrome screening. Um, in terms of paediatrics, we see children with a developmental disability that might have a genetic basis, and we're trying to help people get to the bottom of that and work out what it means for that child for their future family planning. Um, and then in the adult hospital, I mean, this is the area that's just growing um, exponentially. We're getting referrals from just about every subspecialty where they have interesting cases and they're, they're wondering whether there's a genetic basis to the, um, to the disease that they're seeing. Um, so that they'd be the three main areas. In terms of a personal interest, I really enjoy the prenatal work that, that we do. It's always been something that I've been really interested in. Excellent. Yeah, I'd really like to talk to you about that that prenatal side, but I'm just going to put that up on the shelf for the moment because I want to come back to that point that you said, um, your last point or sort of that third part of what you do. Um, you you mentioned that you're getting more and more referrals from lots of different areas of medicine. Um, so do you mean that it's for, for older people um, where they're thinking previously that maybe there wasn't a, a something genetic going on, but now they're thinking that maybe their illness or their symptoms are due to a, a, a genetic factor? Uh, yeah, I, I think what we're seeing is just a, a, the, the sort of changing landscape where genetics really grew out of, of paediatrics. Um, but, of course, there's hundreds or thousands of adults coming through uh, hospital outpatient clinics who also have a genetic basis to their condition. Um, so I feel like we see all the all the cases in the hospital that the other specialists can't sort of get to the bottom of and they think there's something more going on and they can't put their finger on it. And then often they'll make their way to, to genetics and we'll do some testing or look further at the family history and suddenly all the pieces fall into place and you realise that you're looking at a, at a particular rare genetic disorder. Mm. And I know in the cases that I've had that are sort of similar like that, for for sort of the parents of these adult children to finally get a diagnosis after, say, 30, 35, 40 years, like that is it's just an amazing thing to see, isn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I had a case just the other week that started in a, in a prenatal setting, actually. This couple came to see me for preconception advice and she told me that she had a brother with a fairly significant um, intellectual disability and could it be genetic? And that was really the starting point. Um, and in the fullness of time, we got that uh, we got her brother assessed. He hadn't, like you say, he hadn't been seen for over a decade. All the basic genetic tests from from more than ten years ago had been done. But you know, as you know, the the scope of testing is so much broader now. Uh, we're actually able to uh, identify the gene change in the brother and come back to my patient and give her accurate advice about her future family planning. Wow! Um, which I think is it, it's just the it's just the textbook case of of genetic counselling, uh, it just takes a bit of time to to pull it all together. Yeah. Um, but, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting, like, you know, when we first started out in genetics, um, you know, the doctors that we worked with used to sort of come up with a, um, a, a diagnosis in their mind. And with the, the way that the technology was, they had to kind of think of the most likely diagnosis and that test may be a couple of thousand dollars for that one gene. And then you might mm. um, go to the second gene and the third gene, whereas now sort of doing it that way isn't as important because the technology means that we can scan hundreds or thousands of genes all at once. Yeah, that's right. And then the, the importance then is all the interpretation. That the, the, Exactly as you say, the rate-limiting step last time was about, or, or a decade ago, was, was generating the data. Now we've got no problems generating the data. It's, it's interpreting, the, interpreting the data correctly um, in the context of the patient in front of you that is now the challenge. Yeah. So going back to prenatal, um, you said mm. that it's sort of an area that you really enjoy working in. Can you tell me a little bit um, about what makes prenatal interesting for you and sort of what you really enjoy about that sort of part of genetic counselling? I, I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I would have had essentially the same discussion with thousands of, of women or thousands of couples now who have come in with a high-risk screening result, usually for Down syndrome, and then I talk them through the different options they've got uh, if for the resolution to see whether their, their baby is affected with Down syndrome or not. So it's essentially the same conversation, but I, I love having it because at the end of that conversation, um, hopefully, you know, that woman or, or that couple have reached a, a, a resolution about what testing they want to do. Um, and, of course, I don't mind what test, if any, they decide to do. I, I just want it to be the right test for them. Yeah. Um, so it's, I just really enjoy that process of walking through with someone, um, to, to help them out of a, you know, a moment of, of anxiety or stress or, or whatever they're, they're feeling after getting a high risk result, um, and helping them through that. And I think one of the lovely things about genetic counseling is that we're so lucky to be able to spend some time with our patients. And I know in a, a prenatal setting, we don't have um, oodles of time, um, but usually we have enough time to kind of go through issues or to, to, to have a, a conversation um, with our clients. Um, in the previous podcast um, that you'll be able to listen to, um, I was talking about when we get asked what we would do um, in a certain situation. Is that something that your clients ask you a lot? Uh, yeah, all the, all the time, um, and 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 I actually give people an honest answer. I know there's a textbook answer that you're that you're meant to give, yeah. Um, but I actually give give an honest answer, um, and I preface it with you know the stage of life that I'm at and where my family's at at the moment and yep. what it might mean to have a child with special needs and you know all of that. Um, so even though I do give them a, a personal answer, I, I I talk them through my thinking, and I hope that that helps them. Um, you know, with their thought process. Yeah. So it's like you're telling them what you would do, but also the important part of why you would do that. So yeah, for yeah. them. Look, I, I mean, the interesting thing that's uh, come up in the last little while, there's a, there's a, a relatively new screening test for, for Down syndrome, uh, which is a test called non-invasive prenatal testing, or we call it NIPT for short. Uh -huh. um, and it's been marketed very well, certainly where I am in Sydney. And, there's a lot of um, perception by people that they need to have that test, um, even though they might have already had some Down syndrome screening uh, that's given them a low risk result. 
So I certainly don't hold back in telling people, particularly where they're paying out of pocket, I certainly don't hold back from saying, look, you're really just dotting your I's and crossing your T's yep. um, and you're choosing to pay $450 to do that. Um, yeah, so I just make people aware uh, of the test they've already had and what the limitations are of you know, further testing. I think, you know, that's great. And it's so complicated. You know, I think that a lot of people try for so long not to try and fall pregnant when they're in their teens or 20s. And then when they think, okay, now it's time to have a child, um, you know, it's complicated. And um, people think that falling pregnant comes really easily. And there's so much information out there. And you kind of compare notes with your friends and say, oh, what tests have you had? And, oh, okay, well, I want that test. And, you know, I just think it's lovely that um, people are able to sit down and sort of go through um these various options. And I'm glad that you brought up that non-invasive test um, Mm -hmm. because my understanding is that um, some of the screening tests or some of the tests that you can have during pregnancy are free or they're sort of covered under public health, whereas others aren't and you have to pay for them. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about... um, about that issue, like, is it a problem that there's, um, you know, that some are p- covered and some aren't? Should they all be covered? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question, um, and and I think, you know, we've got to keep in mind that when we're talking about the Australian population, we've got metropolitan, we've got rural, we've got regional, uh, we've got different people with different access to different things. So it, it kind of depends on what you can already get. If you can get a great um, you know, really thorough, careful obstetric ultrasound where you are, um, you might not need to do the NIPT blood test because it can essentially be covered by, uh, by, by your ultrasound screening. Um, whereas if you're in rural uh, New South Wales and, and, you know, your closest tertiary level hospital is, is uh, hours away, you know, maybe the blood test is the, is the right way to go. Mm. I think you know, really, my, my advice would be to speak to a genetic counsellor and, uh, and 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 get their advice for for your particular circumstance. Yeah. Um, in terms of how it ought to be funded, that's uh, out of out of my hands, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but, but but I do think it's important that people um, aren't aren't coerced, aren't financially coerced into doing one test or another. Yeah. And at the moment, we're in a situation where a test like an amniocentesis attracts a Medicare rebate um, but carries a small risk to, to the pregnancy because it's an invasive test, um, whereas the NIPT test is uh, completely safe but not covered by Medicare. Yep. So you could definitely have people who have an invasive test and risk their pregnancy because they don't have the money for NIPT. And, you know, personally, I think that's that's wrong and, and needs to be needs to be sorted out and it will be in the fullness of time. Yeah. I think it's funny, one sort of aspect in genetics that um, we are seeing is that the technology is growing but um, sort of our policies and procedures are sort of lagging behind a little bit and I think sort of what you just mentioned was a, a good example of that. Yeah, look, I mean, you, you know, you and I are, are both doing a little bit of private practice work as well now, as well as the time that we spend in the in the public system. And for me, that's grown out of just the frustration sometimes of what happens in the public system and just the how slow it is to, uh, you know, integrate new technologies and, and to actually make things happen. Um, I kind of felt, well, actually, I'm just going to set up a private practice and, and implement the things that I think ought to be implemented. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if you felt the same. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I know when I started in genetic counselling about 15 years ago, I never, ever thought I would go into um, private practice. Um, you know, I'm such a public health advocate. And um, just as time has gone on and I've got um, sort of more experience, it, it's really interesting seeing that we are able to help a subset of the community in the, public, in the private sector. Um, so it's mm. it's the people that are requesting that service. And, um, you know, I think that it, I didn't realise, but it actually complements public health really, really well. Yeah, absolutely, because people who, like every other discipline in medicine, uh, there are some people who can afford to access that privately and then that takes people off the public waiting list as well. So, no, you're, you're right, they're, they're sort of complementary, aren't they? So tell me about your private practice. What um, What is it called? So it's called the Genetic Clinic, excellent, um, and uh, it's in the eastern suburbs in in Sydney. And I actually really vividly remember going to a conference uh, and hearing for the first time about expanded carrier screening. Uh huh. And uh, I'll, I'll just explain what carrier screening is. Um, if you if you think that essentially all of our genes come in pairs because we get one copy of each pair from each parent, um, it, it's possible that you carry a, a gene fault in one of those pairs and because the other copy is working fine, you never know that you're a carrier. However, if two carriers get together and they're both carriers for the same genetic disorder, they're at risk of having an affected child. And there's lots of conditions that are inherited in, in, in this way. Cystic fibrosis is probably a, a, a really typical example. Uh-huh. Um, so most of the time when a baby's born with cystic fibrosis, there's no family history. It's just occurred um, through the, the random chance that both parents were carriers for a cystic fibrosis gene fault and they both passed on the faulty gene uh, to that affected child. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people sort of have a, a general understanding of what it means to be a genetic carrier and they sort of maybe remember sort of that sort of recessive inheritance. That's w- yeah. what we sort of um, call it from from science studies. But that last point you said that a lot of the children that are born with um, recessive conditions, uh, it's into a family where there is no family history of that condition. And I think that's the thing that really surprises people. Mm. Yep, yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, often the, the, when when we meet people who've got a child, they, they look at us in disbelief saying, how did this happen in my family history? It's like, well, this, this is how it happens. You know, the people in your family have probably been carriers for generations and then it's just the, 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 the dumb luck that two carriers both swiped the right way on Tinder or wherever they met um, <laughs> and, and ended up having an, an affected child. So I got really excited about, about carrier screening because uh-huh. I think, you know, for a, for a country like Australia, this is something that ought to be happening um, now that we've got the technology to screen people to find out their carrier status. There's just no need for people not to, not to know uh, whether they're a carrier for a severe uh, recessive genetic disorder. So um, what and- what are you saying there? Like, are you saying that you believe that everyone should be having carrier testing, or I, I think everyone should be offered and and know about carrier testing? And I mean, the cost of testing at the moment, you know, ranges from about four hundred to seven hundred dollars. A lot of people are spending that kind of money planning a family that they're spending that kind of money on their stroller or on their cot or other bits and pieces. <laughs> I, I, it's, I know it's, you know, it is a considerable amount of money, yep. but um, in, in the scheme of things, um, it, it's not that much. Um, it's, it's pretty accessible. I think if people made it, a, made it a priority, 
Um, and a lot of people think, well, it's not relevant to me because it's not in my family, but yep. exactly that point you made, it, it's never in the family until it is, by which point it's, uh, it's too late. And so in your private practice, is that sort of um, a lot of the clients you're seeing to sort of organise that um, carrier screening for um, people that um, aren't pregnant but they're, they're sort of planning pregnancy? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that, that kind of testing is, Really, barely available in the in the public service in, in the public setting. It's certainly not funded in the public setting. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that's a, a really good uh, use for for private practice. Um, and so, people will either come in because of a family history, or often, you know, it, some happened to a friend of theirs. They've had a child with spinal muscular atrophy, or one of the rare genetic disorders, and suddenly their eyes are open to the fact that these things can happen. Um, and even though they're individually rare. You know, we we can screen for dozens or hundreds of rare genetic uh, gene faults, and people can know their carrier status prior to starting a family. Mm. And I, you mentioned um, spinal muscular atrophy or SMA, which is mm. um, uh, one of the the more common uh, conditions that we see, um, and that has been in the media a little bit lately. And have have you sort of been involved with um, how? Where that conversation in clinical genetics in Australia is changing about funding for for carrier testing. Yeah, look, I think everyone's everyone's looking around the room trying to work out who's going to pay. Is this going to be a patient pay system, or are we going to get some state or federal government funding? But I think what we're seeing at the moment is an awareness that you know this needs to be this needs to be funded. This needs to be rolled out as a as a proper screening program in the same way that we do bowel cancer screening and breast cancer screening. If people want to know their genetic status um, for a couple of hundred dollars, it would seem like a good use of of, um, of funds. Yeah. Okay. So changing tact a little bit, um, most genetic counsellors, if not all of us, are, are members of a organisation called the Human Genetic Society of Australasia. And each year the HGSA has a conference. And I understand this year the conference will be in Sydney and you're helping organise this. Yeah, that's right. I'm the co-chair for the 2018 HGSA annual scientific meeting, which is very exciting. First time it's been in Sydney for a while. Um, and we're at the new convention centre at Darling Harbour. Um, and I, I sort of put my hand up to be the, be the uh, co-chair because um, I, I kind of wanted to um, have some say in the agenda. And so, you know, we're, we've got a whole day dedicated to screening, not just preconception screening, um, but screening for cancer risks and newborn screening. It's a really hot topic at the moment. Um, we've got some uh, international speakers coming um, to uh, run some workshops on how to interpret variants when you do a exome or a genome analysis. So, you know, I just looked at the program the other day and just from morning till night every day, there's just back-to-back um, really exciting uh, things happening. Oh, that's fantastic. I... I love, I mean, I said in the last podcast, I'm a bit of a nerd, but I love going to these genetics conferences and it's so exciting when you look at the program and, you know, at every single time slot, there is an interesting presentation that you want to see. So, um, yeah, yeah, thank you. That sounds like a a, a great conference that you're sort of putting together. Mm, There was, um, I think what, what, is shaping up to be a, a, a highlight for me. We've got a, a speaker who's coming over from uh, from Perth. Her name is Rachel Callender. Worth checking out online. 
Um, and she's just got the most interesting um, story. She uh, had a had a baby who was born with multiple uh, problems, um, and she subsequently died. And in the course of that, uh, it turned out that she had a chromosome issue. Um, and then Rachel's really run with this and is trying to um, get health professionals to think about how they how they talk about disability, how they deliver news, things like that. I, you might even hear that I'm hesitating in the words I use because I just think, <laughs> oh, I, you know, I've got to make sure I say the right thing. But, uh, you know, uh, I think Rachel's going to give, give us a, a phenomenal presentation just about um, making sure that we, we don't always have our clinical hat on and that there's, you know, empathy and, and, and humanity in everything that we do as well. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from her. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I, I mean, I think that that is a real strength, a real skill that genetic counsellors have um, to be able to take that that medical information and make it um, personal and make it relevant mm. for our, our clients in front of us. But what um, is getting me excited about what you were talking about with the conference is, you know, it's not just a forum where we all just get together and talk about interesting things but then we don't take it back, you know, into our practice. Um, but it sounds like sort of the program that you guys have put together means that not only are we kind of getting sort of the cutting edge or, you know, th- that sort of best practice information, but it, um, we can take it back to our units and, and, and make it um, relevant for the people that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're sort of at a point where, you know, we we need a national approach to these things. Like none of this stuff is going to happen in, in isolation just in Sydney or just in Melbourne or just in Perth. Like we're a small population and we need a national approach to how we're going to tackle genomics and integrate it into, into healthcare. Um, it's not just going to happen in one local health district. There, there really needs to be um, some vision and, and, and some leadership. And I think that that's the kind of thing that grows out of the, the um, annual meeting. Excellent. Well, that sounds like you're quite passionate about that. So mm. that is really good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we might um, finish the conversation there if that's okay. Yeah, no, it was, it was nice to have a chat. I could uh, I could talk all day. So yeah, probably a good, good idea to, to wrap me up and I'll, uh, I'll head back to the pool. Excellent. I'll, I'll let you get back to those poolside cocktails and yeah, fun with the family. All right. Thanks very much, Matt. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Ron. Okay. Bye. Bye. Excellent. I might just say, um, and hopefully we can put this in, that, yeah, um, we're both genetic counsellors. We both see people privately. And if you've heard anything today that is making you think maybe you would like to speak with a genetic counsellor, please get in touch and we'd be happy um, to see you and help you work through these issues.